Welcome to the Business Perspectives by Hawk FX, a podcast series with industry experts in international business, providing clarity on doing business overseas. Hawk FX, clarity through perspective. Hi there and welcome to the Business Perspectives podcast by Hawk FX. I'm Greg Smith and I'm here today with Craig Collins of Cert Label. Um, Craig will no doubt go into a bit more detail about Cert Label and, and what they do, but essentially Cert Label exists uh, as there's a need for quality regulatory support for businesses uh, operating internationally. Uh, and this particularly is around product development and ensuring products from food, household items through to personal products uh, are supported and are able to be sold across a range of different markets. So thank you very much for joining us today, Craig. Hi, Greg. Yeah, thank you for having me. You left off class on medical devices, so it is quite a wide array of products. So I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, and we're going to talk today about a few specific issues that we've seen uh, within the industry that are affecting businesses uh, operating overseas. Sure. A bit around authorised representation and 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 how companies uh, can continue to trade, how they've been affected trading across borders. Um, I think you, you mentioned to me you've had a lot of questions around customs and excise and, and some of the issues uh, around Brexit and the, the legislation and, and how this is being interpreted differently by different countries and, and, and how uh, companies are able to deal with that. Greg, on the topic, what I want to do is strip it back a little bit and maybe just go back to what are the basic key elements of authorised representation, if that's all right. Sounds good. Um I mean, a lot of people go, authorised representation, oh, yeah, you just stick a label on the product, job done. Mm. Not quite. It's a little more complicated than that. Um, an authorised representative actually has to take legal representation and accountability for the technical and the legislative requirements for your product. Sounds so complicated. <laughs> so basically it means if there is a legal issue with your product, they will be held liable for that product. Mm because they're within the EU market. In a nutshell, EU is just looking for somewhere to hang a hat legally if something goes wrong. Um, and so that's what the authorised representative is there for. And so, how is that then affecting businesses, uh, particularly with, with Brexit and, and, and the changes that's brought in? Well... What it has done is made it a little more restrictive for businesses. It is just an extra administration step, shall we say, mm. in terms of the need to find someone to represent the product if they haven't got establishment within the EU market already. So that's the first hurdle. Um, in some ways, it's also been a blessing in disguise because they're having to go and see someone who is an authorized representative. And so there's almost a second screening of the product if okay. they're doing the job properly. Yeah. So, if anything, a good example, if you went through myself, you at least get the assurance that I've assessed your product and that your product should be safe and compliant for the market requirements. If not, it's my issue to deal with, not yours, which is yeah. quite handy. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the irony is, for insurance purposes, I need to have documented evidence of everything I've approved. Uh, and so okay. I actually write out a certificate of approval 
which is quite cute. Um, some of the clients find it very funny, but some of the clients actually quite like it. It's almost like that reassurance. Yeah, I've got my certificate. Yeah, it's good to go. A rubber stamp of approval to say they yeah. have ticked that box <laughs> and it is it is good to uh, to go into that particular market. Yeah, Excellent. from that perspective. So, um, but obviously, from a client's perspective, what your requirements will be, you'll have to build a, a dossier mm. or what are call technically a product information file, more commonly known as a PIF. And that doesn't have to be all the ins and outs of the product requirements, but it's got to have sufficient detail for the legal representation. Okay. So, and then obviously you then have to update the artwork with any changes that are needed and the obligatory authorized representation address. And that, that would then mean repackaging products that uh, a company is selling so that they're then compliant for that particular market. Long term, yes. The short term fix, you can get away with an over sticker or an over label. Okay. Okay. It's yes, not the most sexy looking, but it, it does the job. Is that causing problems? I know one of the issues that lots of clients have had is is moving goods around, getting things in from China. You know, let's say they're landing them in uh, in the Netherlands and then moving some in different directions. Does it is it causing problems where different areas require different labeling? Um, not no, it's not necessarily a new problem. That problem's always been there in terms mm. of um, the in terms of the EU market. Uh, the actual generic legal labelling requirements are pretty much harmonised, which is quite useful. But the it's the language element which comes mm. into play. Then it's making sure that all the different languages fit in the label. Yeah. The problem tends to be when you look further afield, where you try and get. EU labeling and USA labeling all on the same product. Mm. There, the legal requirements are very different. And so trying to get a label to meet all the markets is a very, very, very tricky job. Wow. And in terms of acting as a, an authorized representative or getting authorized representation, is that the way most businesses go rather than setting up i know some of our clients have set up businesses within europe it's it's a real hit and miss greg if i'm honest um it really comes down to your business itself and so the questions you really gotta ask yourself is when you set up a business uh don't forget if you set up a business in the eu you are running a separate business entity so mm. yes you've got the initial setup costs but it doesn't stop there you then got your ongoing administration and running costs you know you've got your accountants your quarterly submissions insurance etc etc all the costs you normally have in a uk business you'll have on the other You're side duplicating of again yeah. yeah so and the problem is if your business volume reduces your business costs don't necessarily reduce. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a long-term investment there. Mm. And so the key aspect you've got to look at is product volume. Do you have the product volume? Yeah. Um, and then there'll be other aspects. For instance, customs requirements sometimes will force you to, depending on what type of products you're selling. Yeah. And what I mean by that is uh, when you push your product across the border, customs want to know the value of the product at the point of crossing so they can obviously charge you appropriate duty on it if you have deferred sales you may not always know what that final value will be that's where it gets a little more tricky 
Yeah. And so for that reason, some people do set up businesses just so that their UK entity can sell it to their EU entity at cost price, pay the duty at cost price, but then they've got free trade within the EU because the products are already in the EU the products, market. products in the EU and, and that side's been paid. Well, that, that sounds like a pretty significant benefit in itself, albeit, as you say, the costs are... are uh, fixed and it increased by having that that set up um yeah and in so, terms of oh sorry go on so i was gonna say in terms of authorized representative i'll probably jumping the gun here um if you are a, a, a someone who's just starting the export business so you haven't got very high volumes mm. an authorized representation may be a better fit for yourself just till you get a feel for the market and get an established brand in the market once you start getting the volumes, that'll dictate to you when you need to start your own business entity. Yeah. Or the other one is I have a lot of clients that are seasonal products. Okay. So they don't sell them all year round, in which case an authorized representation is very, very good value for them because they can literally just turn the service on and off like a light switch. Yeah. For when the, the product's actually being moving across borders. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of where uh, within Europe companies are setting up uh, when they are doing so, I know you've seen seen a range of countries being used in that sense. Yes. Uh, people commonly fall in the trap going, oh, well, uh, I'll take the closest company in the EU next door to the UK, uh, pin the map island. I can understand that because obviously, yes, in Eastern Ireland, they speak English and they think in a similar fashion to the UK, but they may not always necessarily be the best option for your business. Hmm. What people need to remember is you are starting an export business. So your export business could be anywhere in the EU. You know, you could set up in Malta if you really wanted, because they've got very good VAT rates there. Although shipping and distribution might be a little more of a challenge from there. Um, <laughs> so it's more a case of looking around, looking where you sell your product, What's going to give you the best distribution, warehousing, and then the key aspect will obviously be, well, what duty, what VAT will I be paying for where I'm bringing it in? Mm. For instance, in Ireland, VAT is 23%. Germany, it's 19 The closest match is probably Netherlands. It's 21% VAT compared with the 20% VAT we have here in the UK. Mm. So lots, lots to think about. Um, you've talked there a little bit about customs and excise and i know uh we've certainly heard there's been quite a bit in, in the news about customers importers exporters having products held by customs at the borders how are you how, how does what you do and what are you seeing in that sense um well the beauty is from the authorized representative side um I can at least give them the assurance that the product won't get held up over legality issues. If that is the case, it'll be at my cost, obviously, mm. because I've advised them accordingly. So a good example is, let's say we're shipping a product to Spain. Now, Greece, Cyprus, and Spain are the only three places in the world where Green Dot, yeah. which is a packaging take-back system, which is normally voluntary, but it's mandatory in those countries. And that catches a lot of exporters out is they try and push products into Spain and it doesn't have the green dot and customs know that and they deliberately hold the stock because it's, it's a good earner. Mm. 
<laughs> it's money for jam. Um, so there's there's that aspect. But then there'll be other issues, for instance, customs, excises, the duties. So um, what you need to do is you need to really get on board with a customs or an excise expert, really. Mm. Uh, check what agreements are in place. Does your product meet those requirements? Rules of origin, etc. Have you ticked in the right paperwork? All these type of things are issues that can hold detain your product. Mm. And would you su- you suggest going to a, a customs export uh, expert on that side of things? Normally, yes. Um, I do have some of my clients who actually use their own shipping companies, which is fine. It depends on what relationship you have with your shipping company, how capable they are. I mean, how astute are they with the the um, um, customs excise requirements? But it's the how do I say this? It's the one area I wouldn't skimp on if that makes sense. <laughs> Sorry, pardon the jargon, but yeah, I, I wouldn't take the cheapest option. No, Bar- bargain basement doesn't always pay off because once your stock's stuck. That can be very expensive, costly, but can also be damaging to your business reputation. Well, quite. Uh, and again, as you say, you hear about products being detained at the borders and also products being returned, which um, which I, I know has also been a problem. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen the articles in the media at the beginning of the year. I bought my dress for £50 and had to pay £64 <laughs> in customs. Um that's mainly because people didn't understand what information to fill on the paperwork because it was new to us from that mm. perspective. And so the problem is when you fill in the paperwork and you submit it at port of entry, that acts as a declaration. And based on what you declare, that's what you pay. Okay. So if you declare it incorrectly, you're paying correctly. Mm. And so that's, that's, that's the, the problem. So... Yes, you theoretically you may be able to claim it back retrospectively, but in order to do that, you need to have all the paperwork evidence available, time, and a lot of patience, because <laughs> you, you you're dealing with government bodies. Yeah. yeah. And any other issues that you're seeing, particularly on the the customs side of things? Yeah, in particular, um, product returns is a good example. Mm. Um, let's say I. Trying to think of a good example. Um, kind of thing. I sell electric Hoovers, and one that wants to come back under repair warranty repair. Yeah. They they, I'm not buying the product back off of them, and I'm not reselling them the product. They're just sending me the product back, and I'm returning one for free. Okay. Now, if you do the paperwork correctly, you can get a defined window of time to have the product brought back into the UK, repair it and return it to the EU without paying duty. Yeah. But if you don't do the paperwork beforehand, then it's too late and you will pay duty on entry and exit both ways, in which case that repair will be very, very expensive yeah. for you. <laughs> if anything, probably near the cost of the product. So, is it, um, is, is that why, and I, I have seen, um, examples where companies that are shipping products and sometimes shipping them via one of the major online sellers 
where returns effectively are just being dealt with by saying we'll just give you a refund and you don't need to return the product uh, exactly perhaps that's yeah. the reasoning behind it that if, if the cost becomes so high by the time you've got the shipping and all the other costs uh, the, the the commercial option may just be to say actually we'll we'll just give you the money back well Yes. Um, in, in particular, if it's a low-value item, mm. it doesn't justify the administration required for returning the item. Mm. Higher ticket price items, well, then, yes, it does uh, justify the administration. And as companies are getting more and more used to this new way of working, it's it's becoming easier, should we say. Um, yeah. The other one is um, what I call the double, double customs bill. <laughs> Okay. Um, which I nicknamed the Percy Pig Syndrome. <laughs> Bear with me, I'll explain. Um, uh, last year, was it, it was M&S in particular, so the Percy Pig Suites, you might be familiar with them. I, I do um, know them. My, my oh, kids yes. are fans. <laughs> Percy Pig and M&S is almost an institution in itself, you know. I dare anyone to walk into the Waterside head office and, you know, defi- and, and state they don't like Percy Pig. <laughs> they might not get out alive. <laughs> But uh, I think it was Stuart Rose, or may have been the current CEO, I can't remember which, you'll probably find everyone shouting the speaker at me now, um, but he used the Percy Pig Suites as a good example of the double, double customs, or the double right, duty okay. syndrome. Mm. Percy Pig is actually manufactured in Germany, and it's imported into the UK. Now, when we were part of the EU, they could sell Percy Pig in Ireland, no problem. Mm. The problem now is, if they bring Percy Pig in, they pay customs excise on entry into the UK, and if they then just sell it normally to Ireland, they pay customs and duty on exit and entry again. Mm. Which case, the irony is, they actually make no profit. In fact, I think they actually make a loss selling Percy Pig sweets in Ireland. And they couldn't send them directly to Ireland from... Germany. Well, no, they, no. Well, unfortunately, there'll be too much of a logistic nightmare for them. Yeah. But you are able to, if you define what shipment, part of the shipment exactly is going to be passed on. Um, I can't remember the exact terminology. I did warn you don't work in shipping, but mm-hmm. there there is a transfer option where if you define it, but you have to predefine it prior to it coming into into, into customs. Because mm. once it's here, it's too late. You have to pay for it. Yeah. But if you define and uh, you fill in the paperwork beforehand, you can assign that consignment to go on and you do you are exempt from paying duty on entry into the UK. Mm. So then you are only paying duty once on it when it comes into Ireland. So they, they've got Percy Pigs back in the uh, in the stores in Ireland. Yes, and breathe the sigh of relief. Excellent. And it, it, I guess um, it's been yeah, we've covered some some interesting topics um, already. And uh, and I think the third area we were going to talk a little bit about was the, the legislation and talking about different countries, how that uh, legislation is interpreted by different countries what's your what's your thoughts and experience around that um it varies drastically from country to country it depends on you know their whole cultural beliefs and things like that Mm. i mean if you take even further afield um 
I lived in China for two years. And uh, I'll keep the story short. But I went into a supermarket, uh, which is on the underground area. Supermarket was in the station. Yeah. I bought some household belongings. In particular, one was a can of deodorant. And uh, I tried to get back onto the underground and got stopped by the security chap who watched me shopping in the supermarket. And I thought, now what's the problem? And he was trying to confiscate my groceries because I had an incendiary device in my groceries. Right. And I asked him if he was mad. And what he was on about was the can of deodorant because it's compressed gas. Mm. They classed as an incendiary device and it wasn't allowed on the underground. Despite so how, selling it on the underground station. So how, how, how do people get their deodorant home in, in China? <laughs> um, I mean, that's, I don't know for that one. Obviously, you walk home with the groceries. <laughs> I mean, it's a rather extreme example. Uh, bring it closer to home, though. Here, for instance, in the EU, um, uh, we're very fortunate that most of the regulations are harmonized for the big mm. core products. Yes, there are some situations which are quite rare where national regulations may go over and above the harmonized regulation okay in those instances then the national regulation takes preference okay so people may remember the germany's renowned for this forever pushing the boundaries on the regulations um and they're always falling foul of the european commission I think the famous one is between 2012 and 2014 they're challenging the eu commission on the food regulations um, and Germany has more strict uh, the, well, they regulations had, in place. They had. Long yeah. story short, the EU Commission basically battened them down and said, no, no, we'll stick to the harmonized regulations. So that did make life a little bit easier. But they did tweak one or two of the regulations in the process. <laughs> but France is another one where recycling is mandatory, mm. which catches a lot of people out. Obviously, I mentioned about the green dot for Spain. Mm. But a good good story was two weeks ago, I had a customer who was looking to export their cosmetic products directly into Spain. Which you think, okay, well, cosmetics are pretty harmonized. It's 12, 23, 2009. It's all fine. No, the problem is if you export or import, let's say, directly into Spain, Spain has additional requirements for products that are imported directly into Spain. They then mm. have to be registered with the medical council, even though they're a cosmetic. Mm. So and that wouldn't e be the case if they were imported into France Anywhere else and then in moved into, into, into Spain. Exactly. Okay. So the answer there is, ironically, is import into the country next door and just do a transshipment. <laughs> and you don't have to do all the additional registrations and requirements. Wow. So there are, there, there are little quick wins. So, yeah. Well spotted that one. <laughs> That's good. So it sounds like there are a, a, a there are a lot of local legislative requirements in addition to uh, the differences between, I guess, the UK and the EU, which although relatively close and harmonised now, given that we've only just left and nothing has changed, mm. would you expect that to drift over time to make things even more challenging? Unfortunately, yes. Mm. Um, and I'm really starting to see signs of this on the chemical side of the industry. Um, at the moment, uh, most of the regulations are still in line with EU. 
Mm. The gov.uk website is actually quite useful for that in terms of it just gives you an update in terms of what regulations are currently still in tandem with the EU market. But as we have now left the EU, the UK will have differences of opinion on legislative requirements and so regulations will change yeah and so we'll see the the two will go separate ways uh, i guess things will continue to become challenging and more challenging going forward yeah so i mean going back right to the beginning the original point um your own business versus authorized representation if you've got the depth of the volume and you know your market and you know what you're doing and you could justify the cost of running, but setting up a business, then yeah. yes, that's definitely the way forward. I actually ironically recommend that. Mm. Um, if you are just starting the export market or you don't really know the market well, an authorized representative might be a much better choice. Mm. Um, although when you're looking at authorized representative, you need to be careful and look for certain things. There are certain pitfalls, even with authorized representatives. Such as? Well, I know a lot of competition, for instance, will charge annually. Okay. And so what you need to do is look carefully at the small print in terms of, am I actually going to have to pay up front for this product to be represented for the whole year? Mm. In which case, if I've got a seasonal product or promotional item, that's really expensive. Um, also, a lot of them will offer you bundled package of shipping and warehousing with it, which sounds great. What you then need to do is, well, hang on a minute. Are there any limitations on that shipping? Is it going to restrict my markets? I can't sell to Italy because they don't distribute there, for instance. So if you do go for an authorized representative, make sure, A, you've got someone who's cost effective, but they aren't going to put any limitations on the way you supply or you run your business. Sounds good. Um, Craig, we're there at about... 25 minutes that feels like a good place to then say um cert labeler here so this is what we can yeah. do and how to get in touch well i'm sure do people want... have a, a lot of burning questions <laughs> i mean they are welcome to get in contact um jokes aside if they have listened to this podcast um if you go to um well the website cert label c-e-r-t-l-a-b-l.com cert label.com that's the website you've got the contact details there or if you put cert label.com and then forward slash craig c-r-a-i-g that'll bring up my calendar and uh if you listen to this podcast you're welcome to a free 15-minute consultation with me if you want uh you may just have another little question or you want to know more um you're welcome to book some time in the diary. Come say hi. It's always nice to meet someone new. <laughs> that sounds great. Listen, Craig, thank you very much for your time uh, today. It's been a really interesting uh, tour de force uh, of the new regulations, the different ways businesses can look to expand into Europe, some of the pitfalls and issues they're facing. And, and I think by the sounds of it, will continue to face and, and may even uh, become more challenging. So I think it, it highlights uh, the benefit in having uh, good uh, professional, local technical knowledge uh, that can help get around some of these uh, challenging issues so thank you very much for your time uh, and experience today and as you as you say i'm sure lots of people will have uh, more specific questions that they, they can can pick up with you directly listen thanks greg thanks for having me on 
Okay, you've been listening to the Business Perspectives podcast by Hawk FX. Today, I have been here with Craig Collins of Cert Label. Thank you for listening to Business Perspectives by Hawk FX. Clarity through perspective. For all your money transfer needs, whether you are a business or an individual, visit hawkfx.com.